It Was Almost Real, the Pro Wrestling History Podcast, Episode 46. Welcome to It Was Almost Real, the Pro Wrestling History Podcast. This is the podcast where we look at pro wrestling history from 1870 to 1920. Although sometimes we'll range a little uh, farther than that into the 30s, maybe the 40s. And if people do something really stupid, maybe even the 2000s. But who would do something stupid, kid? Yes. <laughs> and joining me in studio this week is Dangerous Dan. We were hoping to have Caleb and or Trey, but they were both busy today, so they're going to try to be on the next one. So you might have four Zimmermans on the next podcast, which would be three too many, but it is what it is. So, yeah. My co-host is already glaring at me, and we're not even a minute in, so this will be a good episode. And we're going to try to be much more positive this week. We, we got a little grumpy last week, and we're going to cover it in the beginning uh, so we ju- we can get rid of it and move on, and then we'll, we'll focus on some happy talk. But just a couple quick updates, um, and I'm going to talk about this in the update on the next podcast because I want you and the two other wise men's opinion on this. Mm-hmm. But I have got to make some corrections to Gotch versus Hackenschmidt. Okay. I wrote that in 2016, and there are a couple things in there that I know now. The The conclusions have not changed at all. Yeah. But there's a couple of things in there about Gotch's rivalry with Jenkins. Mm-hmm. And then there was one other thing that I do need to, to change and update. Okay. The problem is... It's not as easy to update the book that's out there in bookstores and that. Right. So I've got to decide whether to do a second edition or just correct this first edition. I got you. So I'll throw the pros and cons to you guys about that. Okay. But I discovered that because I've been slowly, uh, there's a beta program on Amazon Mm -hmm. where, and the voices sound really good. It's uh, AI voices, Mm -hmm. um, but they've got a beta program where you can put your books into audiobooks. So oh, okay. I've got like four of them I've put up now. Yeah. And focusing on the ones that people are most interested in. So. Yeah. And then um, I just recently finished Ken Patera's biography that uh, Kenny Casanova, I guess, was the ghostwriter, co-writer, mm-hmm. whatever. And I have to say, I was very pleasantly surprised. Uh, Ken Patera was the big heel in St. Louis when I was oh, a kid. Yeah, he was huge heel. Was and he, uh, I, I always was admired his Olympic uh, exploits, you know. Mm-hmm. And then he got into some trouble in the '80s and wasn't as big of a fan because if you were involved in law enforcement or going to police academies and stuff. They talked about you know the things he and Saito did, and it was well. They beat up how many cops? Uh, they beat up two pretty badly, and they beat up about fifteen or sixteen. Yeah. The problem for the officers was they were in a hallway, a narrow hallway. Oh, it was and bu- they, they couldn't neck. surround them. Yeah. So you got two pro wrestlers. Those guys are too big for most people to be able to handle. Yeah. And they were basically stacking them like cordwood before they realized this is not going to end well. We're eventually going to get shot. Yeah. And they stopped fighting and surrendered. Ah. But he talks about it, and he gives you his perspective, and uh, that's just a, a minor part of the book. A lot of it is about his wrestling, and you know, mm-hmm. somebody we're going to talk about in the review. He was good friends with Andre the Giant, and he yeah. talked about some of their exploits and that. So, if you're interested in pro wrestling in the 1980s, I would strongly uh, recommend Ken Patera's book, and I'll put a link up for it in the show notes for this episode, episode 46, which will. The show notes are always available at kenzermanjr.com slash episode in the number. So this one will be slash episode 46. And I thought I had one more announcement uh, before we talk about why you want to choose your criminal conspirators uh, wisely. But I, I can't, if I remember it, I'll, I'll go back to it. But I wanted to get the, so I have to apologize for being a little grumpy on the last podcast. Besides having a daughter, I have nine. Grumpy, you made Grumpy the Dwarf look like million-dollar aces out there, smiling. Well, I have a daughter, and I have nine sisters. Mm -hmm. And growing up, I would hear my sisters talk about some of the crap that they were subjected to, which Mm -hmm. I don't like. And 
you know, you mess with my daughter, I'm gonna pull your lip up over the top of your head for starters, and we'll go from there. Right. So I was a bit grumpy talking about this whole Vince McMahon, Johnny Ace, and the horrible things they're alleged to have done to this poor uh, girl, Janelle Grant. Mm-hmm. We there has been an update that we did want to because I think we're both calling BS on it, but. There has been a further update since we talked about that last week. Johnny Ace, John Laronitis, his lawyer is now saying that he was as much a victim of Vince McMahon's manipulation as Janelle Grant. Yeah, I I think that surmises our feelings on on that. Um, John Laronitis is six foot four. How old is he in his... He's in his 50s, maybe maybe early 60s, but he's a lot younger than Vince. Yeah, and you're going to tell me that he let an 80-year-old man with dementia right. manipulate him into holding a woman against her will while they forced themselves on him? Her? No. Huh. Right. That's bull. Yeah. So, and all these things are still alleged. We do have to say that... Yeah. It's not gone to court yet, mm-hmm. but the evidence definitely looks like it's stacked up against them. And what I what I was reminded of when I heard that he had said that mm-hmm. is when you're involved in an alleged criminal conspiracy or thinking about being involved in a criminal conspiracy, mm-hmm. you have to choose your confederates wisely. Yes, you do. Because that's what gets all these criminals in the end is... Somebody who wants to save their own skin sings like a canary bird. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, I'm sure that Gotti didn't think Sammy the Bull Gravano was going to turn state's evidence, but he yeah. sure did. Well, Johnny the Bull Laronitis, <laughs> you know, he'll say whatever he has to say to save his well, own skin. Well, of course skin. he is, yeah. Bruce Pritchard, who would probably never do anything like this for fear that his wife would run over him and... Uh, with the uh, station wagon and back up. Mm-hmm. He would go out and lay in front of the van that was coming to take Vince to federal prison for the payouts to all these women if the federal grand jury would find him oh, yeah. guilty of criminal wrongdoing. Pr- Bruce Pritchard would go lay out in front of the van that was <laughs> coming to take him to prison. But well, Johnny the Bull is going to say whatever he needs to say to get himself out of the fire. Yeah, I do. Which, I don't know if it'll be successful, to be quite honest. Vince has got a much better chance of getting away with it because of the the money that he has. But I'll tell you what. Some of the stuff that this uh, young lady collected and her lawyer has, the federal government gets a hold of that. Oh, yeah. I don't you know, they have some extremely good accountants, and if he was paying for these hush money payments, not only to her, but to other people, I mean, mm-hmm. she's not the only one. That This supposedly goes back 15 years. Oh, I know, yeah. Uh, apparently, uh, you know, it's a little bit... And, and I'm going to say this, I've got to bring this up. Vince didn't have dementia 15 years ago. No, he did not. He knew exactly what he was doing. I will say one thing. I told you the timing was really odd to me. Mm-hmm. So, and according to the civil suit, this stuff started in 2020 and went on, you know, 2020, 2021. Yeah. Do you remember in early 2021, out of the blue, Vince McMahon made John Laronitis the VP of yeah. Talent Relations yeah. again, mm-hmm. a position he hadn't held in almost 10 years. Yes. And, you know, uh, we were talking about, oh, he's trying to... Uh, minimize what Triple H's position because Triple H, everybody couldn't wait for Vince yeah. to be gone so Triple H could be running everything. Mm-hmm. The timing is odd. I, If I was an investigator, I would be looking into why all of a sudden, Vince, did you make this guy VP again when, by the way, he's your uh, buddy and these alleged wrongdoings. Mm-hmm. Is there a link? I, that's one of the first things that I would be digging into. Right. Absolutely. So I wanted to end with some happy stories before we move into the main content today. So I won't be grumpy again this week. <laughs> so it, it, it's two stories around my dad, which always puts a smile on my face. Mm-hmm. I had the greatest dad in the world. He just didn't bring me into it. Um, my mom and dad got married when I was 12 years old. And when they got married, we lived in a house that was about 800 square feet. And... Besides me, my two oldest sisters, they're they're not my two oldest sisters, two of my older sisters, Tracy and Kelly lived with us, 
but also two cousins lived with us as well mm-hmm. that my mom had taken in because they had, had kind of a rough go. And then my two younger sisters who were nine and six. So my sisters and my cousin, my sister Tracy was 18, my cousin Kim was 17, my cousin Jackie was 16, and my sister Kelly was 15. I was 12. Mm-hmm. And we had a 800 square foot house with two bathrooms. So, and, you know, uh, my cousin Jackie's husband, they were dating at the time, and he used to describe it as coming over to the house, and it was me, Ernie, and 57 women. (laughs) But with that many ladies and young ladies in high school, you could imagine there was quite a battle for the bathroom. Oh, yeah, I'm sure there was. Well, I noticed nobody ever screamed at Dad to get out of the bathroom, because at 5 o'clock in the morning, Dad would be sitting up there, Already cleaned up, reading his newspaper, and drinking a coffee. That's because them girls didn't want to get up that early. Exactly. And that's when I realized people don't like to get up early in the morning. And if you get up early, you can get all your stuff done. Yep. And nobody will mess with you. Now, I got a little lazy in high school when everybody moved out. But when I realized that, I was like, oh. So I would get up at 4.30, 4.45, go get cleaned up, mm-hmm. go upstairs. And usually I would eat rice for breakfast. Dad would have toast and coffee. But every once in a while he'd say, you know... Doesn't eggs sound good this morning? Mm-hmm. And both he and I could cook, so one of us would go cook the eggs and toast and everything. Yeah. And we'd be sitting there eating while everybody was getting up and, get out of the bathroom, get out of the bathroom. And when my mother got up, whoever was in the upstairs bathroom Better was... Better get that H yeah, out. They were getting out. <laughs> so then everybody was fighting over one bathroom. Yeah, that one downstairs. Dude. Yeah, but Dad never... Nobody ever yelled at Dad or anything. That's when I learned. That's I, To this day, I'm a morning person. I get up early. Yeah. And You are. Yeah, I, I usually get most stuff done. I mean, I get up at four thirty in the morning. I'm at the gym at five. Yeah. So we're going to jump in the time machine and we're going to go forward about ah, thirty years or so. No, mm-hmm. it's not that much. I wasn't forty when Dad passed. So uh, about twenty five years in the future. Mm-hmm. Mom asked me because I was I used to uh, work late, uh, five or six Fridays in the winter every year because mm-hmm. I was doing security surveys of the buildings at work and yeah. I wanted to be there after dark so I could check the lighting and everything. Yeah. So she said, hey, is this one of your late Fridays coming up? I said, yeah. And she said, could you stop by the house and move the bookcase from the kitchen? And it was the apartment. They lived in the apartment over there. Yeah. Could you move the bookcase from the uh, kitchen uh, dining room area over into the living room? I'm like, oh, yeah, no problem. Mm-hmm. So when I walk in about 1030, all the lights are out in the apartment. And I'm like, oh, Dad must be at the casino. So I go over, I move the bookcase over to the other side, and I go in to wash my hands in their guest bathroom. Well, the guest bathroom looks right into the master bedroom when you come out of the bathroom. You're looking mm-hmm. right into their door. Yeah. And I look, and Dad's laying in bed. It's 1030 in the morning. Oh, geez. Yeah. So I'm like, oh, my God. Dad went back to bed after Mom went to work, and he died. Yeah. So I tiptoed in there. No, his color looks pretty good. He's breathing. So I tiptoe back out, and I call Mom, and I'm like, Mom, something is wrong with Dad. He is still in bed at 1030. And she said, well, he don't get up till 11 o'clock when the price is right is on. <laughs> I said, what? She goes, your dad doesn't get up early like that anymore. He only did that when he was working. She goes, now he stays up late at night watching the sci-fi channel. She goes, he may get up with me in the morning. He may not. She goes, but then he goes back to bed. He don't get up till 11 o'clock. <laughs> I was like, he scared me to death. I thought he had died. She laughed. Well, she told him the story. So I come over the following, because we always had uh, dinner at their house on Wednesdays. Uh-huh. Uh, when I was in school, I'd go to school. And when I was out of school, we'd just go home. But we always met over there on Wednesdays, and we yeah. had dinner. <laughs> Dad told me, he goes, if I had opened my eyes and you'd have been standing over me, I probably would have had a heart attack. <laughs> But changing your habits can really mess people up. Yeah, it can. Uh, you know, um, I, not to, you know, take away from this story. Uh, I was, something that concerned me on the uh, news front this week is um, why Paul Levesque has deemed it, uh, has deemed it that The Rock is going to fight Roman Reigns at WrestleMania after Cody Rhodes won the Royal Rumble and got and uh, basically won the right. 
I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because we're actually recording this on Monday night for next Monday's episode. Mm-hmm. I'm interested to see what that reaction is tonight on Raw. Yeah. I think this can really turn the fans against them. Mm-hmm. I think there's already a big backlash over it. Yeah. To me, I would have had Cody beat Roman at WrestleMania and then let The Rock and Roman do SummerSlam. Mm-hmm. Or do it. It's a two night event anyway. Yeah, exactly. Have them wrestle one night, have The Rock and Roman wrestle the other night. Yeah. You know, do it back to back, particularly since. Seth is hurt. CM Punk's out. Seth will probably wrestle Gunther and probably lose. Uh huh. Um, and I don't think they're seeing that as the main event for. And no disrespect to Bailey because I think the world of her Bailey and EO isn't going to carry. No. Uh-huh. One of the main events either. Um, so yeah, uh-huh. I, I I think that's going to be a big backlash because it's already happening. Yesterday I was on Twitter. Um, huh. Yes, I know it's called X, but we're still protesting that. Yes, um, and not just because it's owned by Elon th- Musk. That's one. That's one of the. That was one of the number one trending things on Twitter all day yesterday. Was the uh, justice for Cody? Ah, uh, so I think that really has a chance to blow up in their face. That they have not made many missteps mm-hmm. with Paul Levesque in charge. Yeah. But I think this is a big one. This is Vince esque. I, I was going to say this is almost your mind. I was going to say this has almost got Vince written all over it. Right. And I know why they would want to have Roman wrestle uh, The Rock. He's a huge star and they wanted to put this match together for a long time, but you got to mm-hmm. finish Cody's story too. You do. Uh-huh. The problem that they should have here's the problem. It should have been last year. Well, exactly. But, but the yeah. but the crazy guy was in charge last year and decided no, we're we're gonna not do it this year. Yeah, and carry it out another year. It it's drug out way too long. It oh, should yeah. have been done last year. And then even if you want Roman to be the world champion again, he could beat Cody and take the belt back. Yeah, and Cody's gonna be a huge baby face with that with or without that title. Or. If Roman doesn't, you know, like, eh, you know what? I, I was kind of down Have on... Have him fight Co- Seth. Yeah, I was kind of down on Cody, and I was saying that Cody was not the um, guy to beat Roman, but yeah. I, I've completely changed my mind on that. Right. He is one of the few baby faces that really does seem to enjoy being a baby face and doing the things baby faces should be doing. Yeah. Signing autographs, slapping people's hands, you know. Kissing babies. Yeah, and looking like you really enjoy it. Yeah. And that's why I said, you know, that one, as they had him, he actually went out the, outside the arena out front and was talking to the fans out in front. And I was like... And think about how hard it is for him because everybody's first question is about Dusty. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And his dad was a great attraction. He had more charisma than just about anybody that ever was there. Yeah. But Cody's a better worker. Oh, definitely, yeah. Well, Much I mean, better athlete. You know, because, well, Dusty was never had the physique no, to be a great... And, and he a, couldn't do the, some of the moves that Cody can do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, he knew when to do what he should be doing, and he did what he should be doing. I but mean, Cody is like, he learned all those lessons, and he has a lot of charisma. Mm-hmm. He definitely enjoys being a babyface. Yeah. But he's his own guy, too, enough that you don't really think, oh, this is Dusty Jr. Yeah. And make those comparisons. And, you know. Because I thought, I thought that hurt Dustin. Dustin looked more like Dusty than Cody does. Oh, yeah. And I thought that those comparisons between Dusty and Dustin hurt Dustin. Yeah. Well, you know, the thing that gets me is that, uh, you know, uh, Dusty Road was in your face. He was never uh, a shrieking violet or, you know, a shrinking violet. Uh, but he was more apt to put a baseball bat upside your head than I think uh, Cody would. Yeah, you know. Uh, I mean, I remember that one night that uh, he went after Tully Blanchard with that baseball bat and, and ripped him a new one. Speaking but, of old time wrestling, and that, we'll go on to the history topic in just a couple minutes. Mm-hmm. But I'm hoping people are enjoying. Yeah, hearing about the modern stuff in the, the '80s. Yeah. One of the podcasts I like to listen to, I don't always agree with the host and his guests all the time, though, Mm -hmm. because they've said some things about world class I don't really agree with. 
And they said something I completely disagree with, and I wanted your take on it. Okay. So they said that they thought Magnum was completely played out in 1986, and if he wouldn't have, if he even if he wouldn't have had the car accident, they wouldn't have put the world title on him. Well, whoever said that has oatmeal for brains. Yeah, I, I was gonna say I, I I like listening to the podcast, but I totally disagreed with that. Yeah. Dusty was going to put that title on Magnum if Magnum hadn't been in the accident. Yes, he was. I mean, they had groomed him for... Right. And, you know, I mean, Dusty was going to put it on Rick Steiner since Magnum TA wasn't available. And they ended up settling on Ronnie Garvin. Yeah. But there's no way Dusty was not putting that title on Magnum oh, TA. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Yeah, because that, that, when they said that, I'm like, no, no, he was not played out. People were devastated when he was in that. Yes, he was. He was still. You know who was one of the biggest people devastated by that? My brother. Yeah. The Hulkamaniac. Yeah, because Magnum T.A. was a huge, fiery baby face Mm -hmm. for Jim Crockett Promotions. And I'm like, but I think these guys are older than me, so I'm like, they had to have been around back then. Were they not watching it? Right, yeah. Because that's the one thing I think people get today. People will go back and watch wrestling, and the so you'll go back and watch Tommy Rich, mm-hmm. and you're like, I don't get it. Wildflower, yes, Wildflower, Tommy Rich. <laughs> I forget who called him that, but I called him that for that, that time after. <laughs> one of the heels called him that. That that was my nickname for him, Wildflower Tommy Rich. <laughs> but Rich was over in Georgia. Oh God, yes, just he like was. Jerry Lawler was over in Memphis. Yeah, and. People don't understand because he spilled buckets of blood and all those wars with Bud Sawyer. And people went to live events, and there's not video from that. Yeah, I know. Yeah. And, and I told you I thought the same thing. When I saw Junkyard Dog in WWE, I'm like, why was everybody in the magazine so crazy about him? Mm-hmm. But when you go back and see him in Mid-South in 81, 82, you're like, oh, uh-huh. now I get it. Exactly. Same but, thing with Jim Duggan. It's very difficult to, yeah, really about Jim Duggan, too. He mm. would, Bill Watts knew how to use him better anyway. Yeah. But I think that if you didn't live through it and you didn't see all of that, you'll go back there and you'll look at that and you're like, no, he was played out. No, he was not played out. No, he was not played out, no. Uh-uh. Because you and I were talking about it the other day. You go back now and you watch Kerry Von Erich matches, mm-hmm. and you're like, well, he wasn't nearly as good as everybody thought he was. No. But in the 80s... That guy was over because not many people looked like him. Mm-hmm. And he could wrestle well enough that he could fit in. But he was never the worker his brother David was. Not well, even no. close. Not, yeah. But if you go back now and you watch it, it's like, oh, I'll tell you one thing that doesn't hold up at all. Mm-hmm. ECW. Oh, yeah. Go back and watch ECW now and you're like, why was this ever popular? Yeah. But I'm telling you, in the 90s, that was over. That was super popular. You know, I didn't even like it in the 90s, though. I didn't want to see some... Idiot come out and beat himself in the head with a kendo stick and drink beer and smoke cigarettes. I agree with you, but I will tell you the one thing about ECW, I would compare it to AEW today. Mm-hmm. There were some real gems in there with like RVD matches. Oh, yeah. And things mm-hmm. like that. One of my favorite wrestlers of all time is Lance Storm. Yeah. And he was he had some great matches in ECW, but you had to watch a lot of garbage yes, around you did. it to see those good one or two guys you wanted to see or one or two yeah. good matches. And I think a lot of it is like AEW today. Mm-hmm. you got to watch a lot of the garbage to see the gems that are there yeah. and to be able to appreciate, you know. Uh, it'll be interesting in 20 or 30 years to see what people think of AEW. Yeah. You know. It'll be interesting what people think of Tony Khan. Yeah. Well, I mean, we've talked ad infinitum about some of the challenges Tony has. Mm-hmm. You know. But we're trying to be a happier episode, so this week, <laughs> we're not going to beat up on Tony Khan. We're not going to take issue with his management style or lack thereof. We are going to think happy, that happy made thoughts. Me happy. Um, what can we say nice about them? He's not Vince McMahon. Um, uh, he's not a twin. Um, you know, uh, Samoa Joe was a good pick to put the world title on. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, so, absolutely. Yeah, there is no better. No yeah. So, kudos, Tony. Yeah. It's a happy episode, and we we applaud you for doing that. Okay. Now, back to the regularly scheduled program. Yeah. I had to go back and check, because I did not remember 
And we're already up to episode 46. Uh-huh. I didn't remember talking about William Muldoon, who was actually the first wrestler I ever wrote a book about. I don't think we did. No, I can't remember. I couldn't remember. I went back and looked at the episodes I did before you guys were joining me. Uh-huh. And I didn't talk about William Muldoon. Well, I'll be darned. So I'm going to talk a little bit about him today and his main rival, who was Clarence Whistler. Uh-huh. But Muldoon, the reason I even started researching him and wrote about him, and he would be kind of an odd one for me to start researching because I always look for the catch wrestlers, the submission guys yeah. first. He was a Greco-Roman wrestling specialist. Now, that is what the world title was contested in back in the 1880s. Mm-hmm. And it stayed that way because he wouldn't wrestle anybody outside of the Greco-Roman style for the title. Ah. Because he was a Greco-Roman specialist. Right. But I first heard of him because he was America's first celebrity trainer. Mm -hmm. And he got that position by training athletes first before he started training politicians and celebrities and stuff like that. Right. Eventually, when film came around, he'd start training actors and that. Uh Uh-huh. He trained a lot of politicians. Theodore Roosevelt sent several of his cabinet members to Muldoon because they were, you know, physical wrecks. Yeah. Because of the stress of the job and that, to Mm -hmm. to kind of get them back to health. Oh, okay. But William Muldoon was born in 1859 or 1859. Um, No, he couldn't have been. He was born in 1849, 1850, Mm -hmm. because he was in the Civil War as a drummer boy. Okay, so yeah, so 13, he'd be about, about, about 65, or yeah, 50, so he'd be about 15 or so. Yeah, I think it was 1850 or 1851, I'm pretty okay. sure. But I'm, I'm going to do a lot of this off of the top of my head, so we're going to be within a couple of years. Yeah. That, and he was a New York City policeman for a while. Mm-hmm. Because he was a big, strong, strapping guy. So, yeah. Uh, Evan Strangler Lewis was considered a big heavyweight. Yeah, and he was five foot nine, one eighty. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> Martin Farmer Burns was yeah. Martin Farmer Burns was five eleven, one sixty five. These guys were considered big heavyweights in the eighteen eighties. Uh, Sorokichi Matsuda, five yeah. foot five, one hundred and sixty five to one hundred and eighty five pounds. Right. He wasn't considered big, mm-hmm. but he was a heavyweight. Right. William Muldoon stood six foot one and weighed two hundred and twenty pounds. So he was a he was a super heavy. He was a monster. Yeah. Uh Clarence Whistler, his toughest competitor, was five foot ten, one sixty five. Okay. But exceedingly strong for that size. Mm-hmm. But I didn't know about Muldoon I knew Muldoon was a pro wrestler. He had been a world champion. Uh-huh. But I learned about him because he trained John L. Sullivan for the fight of the nineteenth century. It was John L. Sullivan's last bare-knuckle title fight before he refused to fight bare-knuckle anymore. He said he would only fight glove contests. Yeah. And that's what ushered in the end of the bare-knuckle era and the beginning of the glove contest. Oh, okay. And he was woefully out of shape. Ah. And he went to Muldoon, who got him in shape for the fight, and he won the Kilrain fight. And they said there's no way on earth he could have beat Kilrain without Muldoon because Muldoon, when he got him, he was like... So in his in his peak, mm-hmm. Sullivan <clears throat> was five eleven to six foot tall, about one hundred ninety pounds in peak condition. Yeah, he was about two thirty when Muldoon got a hold of him mm-hmm. to start training him, and they said there's no way that he could have ever gotten shape without Muldoon. But the reason I was interested in Muldoon is because they said John L. Sullivan was openly feared him. Oh. Now, I don't think that's the case now that I've read and seen that their relationship and everything I've researched. I don't think he feared him, but I think he thought Muldoon was the one guy, if he got into a fight with, if he didn't knock him out, Muldoon was going to get his hands on him Mm. and it would be over with. Yeah. So while maybe he wasn't scared of him, he definitely didn't want to tussle with him either. Gotcha. So that's why I started researching Muldoon. And I found out he was a New York City police detective. And he was wrestling professionally as he was a New York detective. Mm -hmm. And he won the world title in 1880 over Theobald Bauer. And by 1881, the New York Police Department said, you're a detective or 
you're a wrestler, but you can't do both. Right. And so he went to wrestling because it was much more lucrative. Yeah. And he wrestled. He was the uh, world champion from 1880 to 1889. Mm. And he actually retired to become the celebrity trainer. And he trained uh, Sullivan around 1889 or whatever. Mm. But he was a Greco-Roman wrestling specialist. Yeah. And one of the things that... I don't know if it's not admirable, but one of the things about him that is not as heroic as maybe at George Hackenschmidt or um, Gotch or mm-hmm. some of the other guys that held the title, uh, Tom Jenkins, Dan McLeod. Yeah. Not only would he not defend the title outside of the Greco-Roman rules, he wouldn't even take a mixed styles non-title match. Uh-huh. With dangerous catch wrestlers, if catch wrestling was allowed, because uh-huh. he was afraid they'd hook him and hurt him, right? And then they'd have to, then he'd have to give him a title shot, right? So he refused to wrestle Joe Acton, Evan Strangler, Lewis. Um, those are probably the only two, uh-huh. but he refused to ever wrestle a round of catch wrestling with them. He wrestled a round of catch wrestling with Sorokichi Matsuda because Sorokichi Matsuda was new to catch wrestling. Uh huh. But he would never wrestle Acton or Lewis. Gotcha. But he was more than willing to wrestle anybody Greco-Roman. He wrestled Evan Lewis Greco-Roman and threw him. Acton would not wrestle him strictly Greco-Roman. He says, if you're not going to wrestle catch, I'm not wrestling you Greco-Roman because you've got a bigger, as big an advantage in Greco-Roman over me as I've got over you in catch. Okay. But Muldoon did find a opponent that was his toughest opponent and they were friends and they were enemies they were off and on again mm-hmm. and the one of the main reasons they were off and on again is because Clarence Whistler was a heavy drinker okay and pro wrestling didn't pay a whole lot back then because paid more than the New York City police detective yeah but you were had drawn crowds of a hundred not crowds of a thousand yet right. So Muldoon realized, well, if all I ever do is wrestle professionally, I'm not ever going to make a whole lot of money. Mm -hmm. So he started basically booking himself in on these shows like early vaudeville Uh where they would go around and tour. Gotcha. And so he had wrestled Whistler, and they had a competitive match. This is the one I told you about that lasted seven hours. Oh, yes. Mm -hmm. With... Basically, the two of them tied up in an upper body lock. Neither one of them able to get an advantage. And while a lot of matches went a long time because they were trying to milk as many of the gamblers as they could, Mm -hmm. this particular case was just because they were completely stalemated. And so they have this seven-hour draw. Yeah. Muldoon tells Whistler, why don't we, you join my uh, vaudeville show, and we'll do demonstrations of wrestling, not necessarily with each other, because they had a troop of wrestlers that went around with them. Mm-hmm. And we could make a lot more money doing these tours and at the theater and demonstrating wrestling than we can pro wrestling. Right. So he joined the, the troop because Muldoon respected him so much. He's the only guy that could stand up to him in Greco-Roman. Ah. Well, everything was fine for the first three or four months. Mm-hmm. And one night, um, it wasn't Bauer. It was the guy that Bauer used to work with all the time. Bauer and this uh, Andre Crystal. Andre Crystal was the first recognized world champion. Theobald Bauer was the second. Mm-hmm. There were a couple of French Greco-Roman wrestling specialists. And they tended to uh, work their matches. So Crystal is out there, and he and Whistler are given a wrestling demonstration. Mm-hmm. But Whistler's drunk, and either Crystal does something that pisses him off, or he didn't need anything to make him mad. He just decides he starts roughhousing Andre Crystal all over the stage. There's nothing Crystal can do about it because Whistler's a superior wrestler. Mm -hmm. So Muldoon is in the side and sees what's going on. He's like, what's going on here? Yeah. So he goes out, and he breaks him up, and he says... We'll be back in just a few minutes, folks, with a, another thing. But as they're starting to leave and they're going to drop the curtain, Whistler starts cussing at him. Hmm. And Muldoon uh, tells him, hey, look, you're drunk. Just yeah. go sleep it off. 
I'll do the demonstration with Crystal. Enough is enough. Mm-hmm. Well, Whistler takes a swing at him. Oh. Well, Muldoon's got just as bad a temper as Whistler. Uh-huh. So he takes a swing back at Whistler. So you want to you want to take you're, you're you're a little guy and you want to take a swing at a six foot one two twenty five pound behemoth. Yeah. So they get into a fisticuff. People break him up and Muldoon fires him. Mm-hmm. So now Whistler's ticked off. They're going to have another match, and they had three matches all together. Yeah. And there was two draws and then one win by forfeit for Muldoon, who didn't want it. He was going to call it a draw. Uh-huh. But Whistler said, no, that you, you got me fair and square. Yeah. Um, how the, the one match that wasn't a draw, how it ended, Muldoon had picked Whistler up, finally uh-huh. got him off the ground, and threw him face first to the mat. Uh-huh. And he landed on his shoulder. Oh. And dislocated his shoulder. Yeah. And when Muldoon realized what happened, Muldoon said... That's on me. I threw him face first because I was angry. Mm-hmm. I don't want to win like that. We'll just call this a draw, too. And Whistler said, no. By the rules of the match, I have to forfeit. You won. Yeah. And they shook hands, and they were friends again. Ah. Well, uh, Muldoon told him, well, hey, we're going to tour again next year. Why mm-hmm. don't you come with us again next year? Yeah. And Whistler agrees, but Whistler's got a tour of Australia first. Oh, Okay. So he goes down to Australia. With Bill Dundee. Yeah, well, he doesn't come back. <laughs> oh. He's still buried there to this day. Oh, wow, okay. Um, and he's not Australian. He's ah. from New York. He, yeah. he he goes down to Australia. He has a, a boxing match, for whatever reason, with a local boxer who beats the hell out of him because he's not a boxer. Yeah. Then he has a wrestling match with one of the well-respected Australian wrestlers. I think it was Dr. Arthur Miller, mm-hmm. which I believe that was a draw. But he's continuing his heavy drinking. Ah. And somehow his stomach ruptures. They're not quite sure oh. how. There were legends about him biting the heads off glass beer bottles and chewing them. Oh, but well, that'll that, do it. But I think that's just apocryphal. Yeah. He was just a heavy drinker that damaged himself very young. There's lots of cases, unfortunately, back in the 19th century of very young guys drinking themselves to death oh, at yeah. a very young age. But he's 26 years old and dies of some kind of abdominal rupture. Mm-hmm. Well, he's also, because he's a free liver, lives freely, he spent all the money he's made. So he ain't got uh. two dimes to... But the people in Australia, the sporting fans and all of that, they basically came up with the money to bury him in Australia. And his wife didn't have the money to bring him back. So she just like, yeah, bury him Good. in Australia yeah. and everything. And so... Kind of like Jim Thorpe? Yeah, I guess. I mean, Jim Thorpe had never been up to Jim Thorpe, Pennsylvania, but they said, hey, we'll build them a monument and make it real nice for you. And she was... Jim Thorpe's widow said, go ahead, take him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, sometimes it works out because yeah. funerals are not cheap. Mm-mm. And obviously there was no money for her. I think the people sent money back to her even though he was broke. Yeah. So they ended friends, but they never did go on that second tour because he died. Yeah. And that was really the only person who ever could give Muldoon a match. No one else ever came close during his title reign. Uh Uh-huh. So he was the champion for another four years. Oh, okay. And uh, Lewis held him off for 45 minutes in his last match, Mm -hmm. but he couldn't beat him, and... Muldoon is now 38 or 39. He's make m- developed a reputation as someone who can train all these athletes. Mm-hmm. So he really, at that point in time, transitions into being more America's celebrity. And there's lots of other battles he had with people. Um, John McMahon, who was the collar and elbow champion, gave him a little bit of a tussle. But nobody, yeah. nobody ever threatened him like Whistler did. Nobody was that serious of a threat to him. Yeah. And Greco-Roman wrestling, because he was huge. He, he was hard to... Right. He played with a couple, of, like Sorokichi Matsuda the first time he wrestled him. Mm. He just basically played with him. Ah. Uh, because Matsuda was so much smaller. Yeah. But he was the actually the first wrestling book I ever wrote was about William Muldoon's life, and that's why I was fascinated to hear Sullivan feared somebody. Yeah. And I don't think Sullivan feared him. He sued him a couple times, and they got into a couple 
shouting matches where they had to be separated. Mm-hmm. But they eventually became friends again, too. Yeah. But Muldoon lived to be 86 years old in a time oh, wow, where that was really? not common at all. Yeah, and he was one of the original members of the New York State Athletic Commission. Oh, okay. So, um, yeah, he was an interesting individual. Now, do I put him in the same class as Evan Lewis or no? He was a Greco-Roman specialist. I put him in the same category as Alexander Aberg. Mm -hmm. Nobody was going to beat him at Greco-Roman wrestling. Now, Stanislaus Zabisco did beat Aberg. Yeah. But they never wrestled again after that. You you never know who would have won that match because Aberg was very good at Mm -hmm. Greco-Roman. And Aberg did take a fall from Zabisco, which uh, was not usual. Yeah. Zabisco won most of the matches two straight falls. Mm-hmm. But it was a pretty close contest between them two. But in the 1915 uh, International Wrestling Tournament, nobody beat Aberg. Uh-huh. And so, I, to me, Muldoon is in that same category. Right. But you can't put him up in the class of other people who he refused to wrestle in their specialty. Right. And when he forced them to wrestle him in his specialty. Mm-hmm. So. Well, and, and we that, may talk about Muldoon more in the future, but I just wanted to do that little brief thing about him and Clarence Whistler. Whistler's a pretty interesting character in his own right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a lot of the stories you hear, you can't believe them. Yeah. So many of the stories I've heard over the years and thought there was some validity to them. When you look into them, it's like, yeah, no, it didn't really happen that way. Mm. Which is why I research and do this stuff, is I want to be able to prove or disprove this thing. Right, absolutely. There's so much false information out there, you know, mm. trying to set the record straight, because they're, they're, a lot of these wrestlers are like Hogan. The stuff they oh, actually did yeah. is impressive enough. You don't have to make other stuff up. Yeah. <laughs> And as boy, Hogan sure does make some stuff up. You know, I'm, I was supposed to be more positive this. Yes. A happy episode. But I still can't stand both bogus. No, uh-uh. If there's anybody that got farther, made more money, had a bigger reputation with the least amount of skill, and least amount of skill in the ring. He oh, was yeah. a great talker. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, he knew how to be Hulk Hogan. Oh, yeah. But... He wasn't my cup of tea, I'll tell you that much. No, uh uh-uh. But we got to think happy thoughts, happy episode. Okay, uh, happy episodes, happy episodes. What what nice can we say about Hogan? Uh, Nothing really, so let's move on. That he's not a twin. There you go. So, we did review another match from the 80s today. Um, I've been looking at some of the Chicago uh, wrestling matches from the 50s, so I think we're going to review some of those in the future and nobody's wearing wool tights and nobody's (laughs) headlocks for three hours so you don't have to worry about the 50s it was a little bit more they they were doing a little bit more so yeah i mean i they they were wrestling a lot longer in the 20s and 30s Uh uh-huh but a lot of that was because they were milking gambling yeah Mm -hmm. it wasn't because they were just laying on the ground in a rest hold, which Jim Cordette says is not even a wrestling term. The smart fans uh, came up with that. Ah. The rest hold. Yeah. So, <clears throat> you picked, actually, the match we reviewed this week. Yeah, and it just fell into my lap kind of serendipitously. And it is available on YouTube. Mm-hmm. Because we're trying to get away from reviewing so much stuff on Peacock. Because we don't want you to have to pay five nine was it five ninety nine five ninety nine a month. Yeah, I look upon it as a business expense, but yeah, you know I don't want everybody else to have to. Well, then why am I paying for it? I don't know. <laughs> I actually got a, a match I want you to watch next time oh, you okay. come over. It's a very young Road Warrior animal. Oh, okay. But he isn't known as Road Warrior animal yet. Ah, okay. But that's not who we reviewed this time. So this time we reviewed a match from 1988 between then world heavyweight champion Randy Macho Man Savage, Dan's favorite wrestler from the 1980s, Mm -hmm. against Andre the Giant. And one of the reasons we were curious about this match is it's well known that Andre did not personally care for Randy Savage. Mm -hmm. 
and he would take he would do things like stand on his hair and pull him up, uh, slap him as hard as he could, mm-hmm. and we were interested to watch the match because I've seen him stand on his hair and pull him up before. Yeah, but in this match, Andre was kind of not you know really beating him around too bad. He mm-hmm. hit him with those slaps a couple times in the chest, but yeah. for the most part. He was doing the stuff he did even with people he liked. Yeah, headbutts, um, bear hugs, and like you said, the slaps and chops. Yeah, those but slaps, course, I, I know those probably hurt like... But, you know, we're, working, we're, we're looking at 1988. I mean, Andre was dead within what? Five years. Five years after? Yeah, he died so, in January yeah. of 93. Yeah, so, I mean, he was... He looked bad. Yeah, he was definitely on the tail end of his career. Mm. He had gained weight. He was not nearly as mobile. When he slid out of the ring, he looked like an avalanche. Yeah. And the only thing that I saw that he was probably doing that probably hurt Savage was the slaps to the chest. Oh, yeah. And we'll put the link for this match into the show notes. But in this match, we thought it was pretty well. And it was the match from Los Angeles. Mm Mm-hmm. Because they had mentioned that. And I was, uh, well, the end made no sense. Yeah, yeah the, the end was stupid. Because Andre was out of the ring for quite a while, but Savage was only out of the ring for like five seconds. Uh-huh. And they call it a double count. Double count, out, yes. So that was odd. The whole thing with Elizabeth running up the stairs. Oh, yeah, why is she... Right by Andre so he can grab her ankle. That yeah. didn't make any sense. But... There's one part in that match was a, which was a big expose of the wrestling. Uh-huh. Now, you just have to suspend your disbelief, but if you were looking at that with a critical eye and wanted to disprove wrestling, where they take the st- the pad off the turnbuckle yeah, and Savage bangs Andre's head into it four or five times after Andre head-butted it on accident, uh-huh. there's not a mark, there's not an abrasion, there's not a cut. Mm-mm. And to me, that's a big expose. You yeah. know, when you see that, it's like, well, there is no visible injury whatsoever there. Mm-hmm. But I thought Andre was pretty nice with him. And I told you in that uh, Ken Patera book, he has a whole chapter dedicated to Andre the Giant because they were good friends. Yeah. And he said when the Andre, when Andre was in a mood, and he never tried to hurt Patera. He liked Patera. Mm-hmm. But he said when he was in a mood, you couldn't do nothing with him. He... He wasn't going to move if he didn't want to move. Nope. So there wasn't a whole lot you could do if he just was having an off night and just wanted to kind of hang in the corner. Right. Patera said he tried to do a few things with him a couple times, and he goes, nope. <laughs> said the giant didn't want to do it. The giant wasn't going to do it. Yeah. Yeah, if, if he wanted you to slam him, you could slam him or suplex him. Yeah. If you could get him up. But if he didn't want you to do that... He, he wasn't going nowhere. No. And nobody was going to be able to make him go anywhere. And they said one of the things that people didn't realize was just how strong he was. Patera said pushing strength... Andre had average pushing strength. Uh-huh. But they said his pulling strength was amazing. And that's where most people are weak. Most people are weak on yeah. the pull. Mm-hmm. They're stronger on the push. Yeah. And he said his grip strength and his pulling strength was incredible. Wow. So if, he was definitely working with Randy in that match. Mm-hmm. And Randy had a lot of good spots. He did some of his high-flying stuff. Yeah. It was just that the, the ending was weird because he wasn't out of the ring long enough for a double count out. Right. It's like they wanted to do something and kind of knew they were going to do something and then got lost along the way. Yeah. And then the referee, Dave Hedner, just went, oh, the heck with it. We're still going to call it the way we had it set up. Right. Double count out. But the way it was, they did it made no sense whatsoever because you're like, why did they count Savage out? He was only outside the ring for like five seconds. Right. Because he came out, slid back in, and came back out again, but the Giant was out there the whole time. Yeah. Probably because he couldn't slide back in the ring, so he's like, we're going to end it here. Well, I think that's it this week. We 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 turned in a lot shorter episodes, so 
We're not even in an hour yet. What? Yeah, after that. Well, we better take the piss out of somebody. After that <laughs> happy episode. Happy episode. Uh-uh. No. If we well, can't... if you want to end it. <laughs> I didn't know if I was going to bring this up or not, but a little birdie told me that you had a word with somebody at the Walmart today. Uh, I did, um, actually. There, uh, I went to go get curbside pickup today. And as I was sitting there, this gentleman pulled into the curbside pickup next to me. I take it you're using gentlemen very, very loosely. Yes. He gets out of his car and he goes walking into the store. And I'm like, well, I, I can't say on this fam family-friendly podcast <laughs> what I thought of him. So anyway, it's a nice day today. It's over 55 degrees outside, yes. so I got both windows down. Girls putting my uh, the uh, stuff in the back, and I see this numb nuts coming out with a soda, just a soda. And as he gets up, so there, he parked in the reserved parking spots to go in and grab a soda and come back out. Yeah. Okay. So he comes out. And I go. I go. Hey, man. I said, uh, I know you only got a soda, and you probably wasn't in there very long. But I said, this is for uh, curbside pickup only. He looked at me. I said, what? I said, this is for curbside only. That's why they get that sign right there on the parking spot you just pulled yeah. in front of. I said, you came in here and you took up a curbside spot for somebody who's old, crippled, or just lazy and, you know, doesn't want to go inside the store. I said, this is what they're here for. I said, this is not a, uh, a spot for a regular customer. Well, I was just going to be in there real quick and I'm on lunch from work. I was like, I don't care where you're at and what you're doing. I said, that sign doesn't say I'll be back in five minutes. <laughs> and he's just looking at me like I had three heads. I guess maybe nobody's challenged him before or whatever. I said, next time you need to get a soda, I said, either go to a gas station where you're going to have a decent parking spot. Or if you have to come here, find a different parking spot. He just looked at me and he told me to go fornicate with myself. <laughs> and uh, I told him, I said, you know what? Same to you, buddy. Except <coughs> twice. So. Happy episode. Happy episode. <laughs> <laughs> Can we just say, that is some of the most inconsiderate things that people do. Mm -hmm. Is <clears throat> people that don't think the rules pertain to them. Mm -hmm. So you got somebody that's coming for a curbside pickup that might have to circle around till they get a spot open. Yeah. Because this person just wants to run in and grab a soda. Well, park in front of the freaking store. There's 15 uh, coolers right up there at the checkout lane. Yes. But you come and take a spot because uh, you don't want to wait. And, you know, i, I got to be back to work in five minutes. Yeah. Well, guess what? Everybody else has got to be somewhere too, pal. Yeah. And that's why I said these people who, it's what makes the world such a crappy place sometimes. You know what makes me ten times madder than that, though? Self-checkouts? Well, that, I don't want to bet you. <laughs> people that park in the d disabled spaces. That don't need to be. Exactly. And run inside, grab a soda, and come back out. Yes. That mm -hmm. is, infuriates me. Yeah. Because you take somebody who can't walk very far, mm -hmm. and now they're having to walk farther because you're just lazy and considerate. Yeah. Well, those now, happy episode, huh? Happy episode. Happy episode. Happy episode. <laughs> what else is ticking us off in the last five minutes? Oh well, I well we already went off on Vince and them. Well, I was going to pick up your bride today to take her to get your grandson, and as I was pulling up to to make my left turn there, there's this lady in this. Hope you're listening to me, white. Infinity. The arrow's on. I'm behind her, so I punked a horn, and about that time it went yellow. And all I see from inside is somebody going, shrugging their shoulders, like, oh, sorry. Because they got that phone in their hand. Yeah, I bet exactly what was going on, and she shouldn't have had it. Yeah. Because uh, I don't know about all the states, but in the state of Missouri, you're not supposed to have. Um, I have seen people with tablets up on the steering wheel. 
There's no way you can drive and do that. Uh-uh, no, not at, not at all. I'll tell you what, if I see somebody doing that, that tablet's going to become a nice road <laughs> my, road hazard. <laughs> my old captain said there ought to be a law in the state of Missouri that if you're in an accident because somebody is looking at that one of those cell phones or tablets, mm-hmm. that you can legally do something physically impossible with that phone or that tablet. <laughs> I would agree with that. I tell you what, it's, it, it, it is a little bit extreme. But if my grandson was in the car with me and somebody T-bones me because they're messing around on their phone, uh-huh. I might get a little extreme. Well, you, well, remember Henry Ruggs, the uh, Oakland football player. He T-boned that girl, and her and her dog were in the car, killed him. Yeah, distracted driving. It does mm-hmm. not take very long. And they've done studies with the National Safety Board mm-hmm. that you just it's just an upward curve yeah. with the proliferation of the cell phone. Mm-hmm. And it's not only uh, vehicle accidents, but it's bicyclists getting hit mm-hmm. and pedestrians getting hit. Distracted driving, distracted biking, distracted walking. Yes. You know, I, I love listening to podcasts on my cell phone too. Yeah. But there's a time and a place for it. Right. Now, I'm not going to say when we used to play golf... And the bikers would, you know, bicycle down to Fifth Fairway on, I didn't maybe take a pop shot at them. <laughs> Good Lord. Well, they're not doing anything. They're just riding a bike. They're making themselves a target. <laughs> Riding because you got a golf club in your hand. Happy episode. You know what? I was the one to think you put me up to it. I would not have put you up to driving a golf ball at a... I, the, remember the guy who used to ride around on, out of the driving range in the golf cart with the umbrella? Yeah. Your brother and I might have tried to. Because <laughs> Mike was like, that looks like a bullseye, doesn't it? And I'm like, I don't think we could hit it. He goes, well, we ought to try. Uh, well, you remember the, uh, remember Tower T? That's where we did it at. Uh, remember? Because the guy was out there in the cart and he had the little vacuum thing. He was yeah. vacuuming up the ball. Uh-huh. Your brother's like, that looks like a bullseye. And I'm <laughs> like, I don't think we could hit that, Mike. He goes, well, we ought to try. <laughs> well, I know that there was a few times you launched him into the McKenzie Swim Club pool back there. Yeah, I remember that. I remember a time that Ron drove it back 10 feet uh, backwards because he hit the ladies' tee box oh, in front I t- of us. I never laughed so hard before in my life. I, actually, I did, too, after I got up off the ground. That's what I was going to say. I was on the ground. I was laughing so hard. <laughs> Dan and I are standing there. That ball's come back at us. We're like, we both died on their side. <laughs> and, of course, you know how Ron is. He's just so deadpan. He's just like, <laughs> a cigarette out of his I mouth. I was like, that's the first time I've ever seen a negative drive in my life. Because <laughs> he hit that worm burner. It goes right up and hits the ladies' tee box and comes yeah, right back poof. at us. <laughs> Perfect pop fly. <laughs> happy episode. Happy memories. Oh, yeah. That was good times. So, have we got anybody else we want to blister before we get off of here? Um, no. You know what? I'm thinking hard. I, You know, um, if, it, if anybody, it's got to be the creative control at WWE for what they are doing to uh, Cody Rhodes right now. Yeah, well, I think that's going to blow back up in their face. Uh, like I said, that was the number one trending thing yeah. yesterday. I'm very interested to see what that reaction is going to be tonight. Yeah, exactly. Now, they're not going to want to put it up, but with everybody getting a cell phone, I guarantee you it'll be up all over the place. Oh, yeah, absolutely. We're going to get booed out of the building. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I guess it's... Um, I can't really take the wind out of anybody's sail without getting political and I like to stay away from politics and yeah politics, politics and religion, religion are things you should best avoid and not really get into so. yeah on a, especially on a podcast well I figure most people want to come here and have a little mindless entertainment and escape all the nonsense instead yeah. of hearing about it well you know learn a little laugh a little yeah you know and I have to apologize again for being grumpy Hopefully, no more wrestling executives take untold liberties with the young ladies, and it'll make me less grumpy. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I, it's going to be interesting. Dutch Mantel still swears up and down that Vince has got enough money that he won't see any time. You know, 
I would probably agree with that. Mm -hmm. But when you start messing, when the federal government starts taking an interest in you making illegal payments, yeah, we don't know that they're illegal, but that's what they're investigating, that these payments were made with company funds that should have been made with private funds. Yeah. You start playing around with the federal government, it gets Alcatrazy real quick. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. And if they take an interest in you, it's very hard. Now, he beat them once. In the steroid Steroid trial, but that was kind of a weak case anyway. Yeah, it was. But now... He was wearing that dollar collar. Yeah. Well, he had spinal surgery. Every time he's under federal indictment, he has an operation on his spine. He had back surgery this time. Remember Hogan lost about 30 pounds during that time? Yeah, that was amazing, wasn't it? (laughs) Oh, got to quit doing the roids. (laughs) I I told you the other day, I was shocked. I was watching uh, Triumph and Tragedy of... World class, uh-huh. and they were doing some of the Freebird interviews from back at that time. Uh-huh. And Michael Hayes came right out and said, "Yeah, Von Eric, talking about Kerry Von Eric goes, you use all them steroids and you get all jacked up like that." I'm like, he just called Kerry Von Eric a roid head right there on Dallas television. Well, you know the funny thing is, Jimmy Garvin was one, but you never would have noticed it. You couldn't you could tell. tell it. <laughs> <laughs> because there are guys that you're like, oh, if they're on steroids, they're on the wrong kind. But if they weren't on steroids, they'd be smaller. Oh, yeah. Well, that's what so, they said. Jimmy Garvin was like 140, 150 pounds. Right. Because he, he got mad at Jim Cornette because Jim Cornette, he said, didn't sell for him enough when he hit him. And he's like, I'm bigger than you. Yeah, and you're juiced to the gills. <laughs> yeah. You know, you're juiced to the gills and I'm bigger than you. Mm-hmm. Well, there's a guy that I go to the gym with who's around my age. Yeah. I think he may even be a few years younger than me. Mm-hmm. Juice to the gills. And I'm like, what's the purpose? There's there's no reason at our age, I don't think he's competed uh, professionally or anything like that. In fact, I know he's not. Yeah. So it's like, at our age, what's the purpose of that? Well, it's probably all he's done and all he knows and he figures I better keep it up before I... But the problem is when you keep it, your body in an anabolic state like that all the time, yeah. you're also increasing the bad cells as well. Yeah, that's, that's true why too. so many people that use those things end up with cancer in that. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, look at uh, you know. But Paul I told Warren. you when I was younger, I liked Kerry because I'm like, oh, I'd like to be built like that. And then I realized, but he's a chemist. Yeah, he, he went about to the chemist. five or six years later when I was working out in my first bodybuilding gym. Oh, you only look like that if you're going to uh, take roids, and I was never going to do that. Right. Yeah. I would get as big as I could naturally. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah, it's just, and, you know, it's like, you know, and I, I, I hate to keep pointing fingers, but look at how bad Paul Warndorf looked after he quit, you know. Well, most guys, when they quit using them, mm-hmm. they look like hell. Yeah. And their body quits producing testosterone Mm -hmm. so you're either going to live with really low testosterone or you're going to take trt yeah and try to get it to a normal level but then you're also going to have the ramifications of that increases your chances of cancer and everything yeah but the problem is most people aren't going to want to live with low testosterone so you just have to you know take the good and the bad and all these guys are taking this trt Uh which is steroid and lower doses and, oh, I feel so great. Yeah, and you're going to have to be on that for the rest of your life. life. Mm-hmm. Or the minute you quit taking it, you're going to look like crap and your testosterone production is going to go to nil mm-hmm. because your body quits. When you start putting artificial testosterone in your body, your mm-hmm. body quits producing it naturally. Yeah. And it doesn't. It'll crash out. It'll come back just a little bit. Mm-hmm. But unless you go on TRT, you're going to have low testosterone. Yeah. And that's why all these bodybuilder champions you see if as soon as they get off steroids, you can tell because they look horrible. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I tell you what, though, I was watching. They had a, uh, they were doing, uh, Paul Orndorff was doing a promo, and he cracked Gene Okerlund up. <laughs> I never seen Gene Okerlund break character like that. Yeah, even when, oh, yeah, the cream rises to the crop, you know. Yeah. <laughs> He didn't even break up during Randy Savage, but he, <laughs> Paul Orndorff said, you know, I was getting ready to take off from Tampa National Airport, and he said, the pilot comes out and says, Mr. Wonderful, okay if we take off now? <laughs> 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 and I did, Gene just lost it. 
he's like, we're really, really, the pilot came out to ask you if it was okay to take off. <laughs> Orndorff was a great wrestler. Oh, he, yeah. He was Hogan's best opponent. Oh, yeah. He got the best out of Hogan. By far, yes, by far. There, we said something nice about Hogan. So, you know what? We ought to end the podcast on that. A happy Happy, episode. happy, yeah. A happy episode. <laughs> so, we will not be back next week, February 19th. That's the third Monday is the day that I release a blog post on mm-hmm. the website. But we will be back on the 26th, and hopefully we'll be joined by the dynamic duo. I can smarten a couple of marks up. Well, you know, they're um, they're young men, and they have uh, other pressing duties right now. Yes, they do. And and it, neither one of them is a woman, so, you know, I was... A... <laughs> yeah. Poor slobs. Yeah, I'll tell you what, because usually the only thing they could tear me away from was a skirt. <laughs> yes, I, I told him the story. I said, your uncle and I made a pact when we were in high school. Mm-hmm. I said, if I've got food, your uncle has food. If your uncle has shelter, I have shelter. If one of us has a good-looking woman, the other one has food and shelter. That's right. <laughs> So I think that that's a, a good a place as any to to, to end on. We uh, hope you'll come back and join us in two weeks. Uh-huh. And until then, take hey, care. Let's, yes. uh, before we do anything, and I realize this is kind of out in the future, um, listeners, if you would be interested in hearing a uh, travel podcast sometime, um, I'm looking to take some time off this summer. And I'll be in various uh, exotic locales, such as the Smoky Mountains, uh, places like that. Well, I, was, I was hoping it wasn't Kelso. Uh, no, huh? Uh, but if you'd like to, uh, if you'd like, if you'd be interested in having a podcast uh, from the uh, from the road, just let us know. Yep. Okay. But we always like questions and suggestions, so you yep. can always reach out to us, mm-hmm. and we're happy to to take them. So, until next time, I guess that's it for this week it is that is it for this week so take care everybody bye